Our scripture reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 2, from verse 25 to verse 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. It does look like a birthday cake. Who said birthday cake? Yeah. Does that not look like a birthday cake with the candle coming down? That's what he said. Dude, I'm hungry, man. I could kill some birthday cake right now. Good morning, family. It's really good to see you. Um, if you're a part of our family, and I know you, I just want to say to you, I love you, and I'm, I am glad you're part of our family. It's a privilege to serve as one of our pastors. Your challenges in life, your presence, especially when you go through the vows, you just need to know you're not, you're not burdensome to our family. We're glad you're here, and if you're struggling or in one of those seasons, it's okay. We don't want you to struggle somewhere else. We all struggle. We want you to struggle here as, as a part of our family. So I'm really glad that you're here. Really glad that you're part of our family. If you're visiting, if you're a friend, you've been here a couple times, we would love to become more than friends. We'd love to become, uh, become your family too. And I would love to be able to know you well enough that I could look you in the eye and with integrity say that I love you too. And I'm glad that you're, you're part of our family. So welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting, what we do want you to know is you have nothing to prove to the people around you. Um, Jesus has already done all the work necessary for you to rest. You don't have anything to earn here. Uh, Jesus has done everything necessary to earn your reconciliation with the Father. So just take a deep breath, rest. Um, you're not going to get yelled at this morning. I might raise my voice, but our goal is not to give you a to-do list. Our goal is to point each, of our, each, each other to Jesus who has worked for us. Okay? So let's pray, and we'll get right down to work. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Uh, we do want to acknowledge we're not the only expression of your family gathering on this island. There are a lot of churches. Uh, we also want to acknowledge that sometimes, like when we pick a church, we're like, uh, we, we pick a church because we think we do something better or, um, I don't know, we think a little bit too much of ourselves, I guess. And so we just want to confess that tendency and recognize we don't do anything better than any other expression of your family here. It's, it's not like we're trying to deliver a good or a service. It's not a performance. It's not, uh, I'm not a professor imparting knowledge. We're not, it's just, it's, we're striving to be present as your kids uh, with you and listening to your voice and uh, learning to follow you in life by faith. And there are lots of expressions of your family doing that on island. So we think of all the way up north, Nick Guero and the family that he leads up by Schwab, really the only, only one up there. And um, we think of the Hanson Christian Center and the work they do right outside of Hanson. We think of Coza and Keystone 
and Calvary and Zion and uh, Greater Friendly, Church of God in Christ, and Calvary, uh, Church of God in Christ, and Maranatha and Lighthouse and it's right on down the line, lots of, lots of expressions. And so, Father, we pray that in each one of those gatherings, you would be present in power through your spirit, the gospel would be rehearsed, and your kids would be encouraged, and people who don't know you yet would be pointed to the beauty of Jesus. There are lots of Christians gathering in chapels today, from Schwab all the way down to Kinzer and everywhere in between. And we pray the same. Please be present in power. May the gospel be clear. May people be pointed to Jesus. And Father, we don't want to neglect, uh, that was kind of a Western focus right there, but there are scores of Okinawan churches meeting right now too. Many of them in homes led by bivocational pastors who have to hustle all week long at a normal job and then also serve pastorally on the weekends. So we pray that you would pour out your grace in their gatherings as well. Be present in power and give life according to your word. We pray this in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week we kicked off our Advent series. And you remember the word Advent. Uh, could you guys kick the game clock for me so I don't go into overtime? There we go. Um, Advent simply means coming or arrival. So we're in Advent season, but honestly, we shouldn't use the Advent, or shouldn't use the word Advent in a singular sense. There are two Advents, right? Jesus came once, that was the sunrise, and he's going to come again. When he comes again, that will be the sun at the highest point in the sky, giving light to chasing away all the darkness in our world. So there are two advents. We look forward, it gives us, or we look back, it gives us hope. We look forward, it gives us, gives us hope. At the first advent, uh, the baby Jesus was the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, taking on human form so that he could live a perfect life in our place because all of us rebels had failed to live in obedience to the God who created us. We were deserving of judgment. Rather than giving us judgment, though, the Father sends Jesus in kindness. Jesus would go to the cross and take the rightful judgment or justice in our place so that we could experience mercy, right? First Advent. We looked at a passage last week to start our time off. It was Isaiah 9-2, and it talks about a sunrise, right? Here it goes. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That was the first Advent. Jesus was the sunrise, those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. But over time, the sun, the sun rises in the first advent, and it will be high in the sky when Jesus returns, but we live in the messy middle, right? The in-between, where the darkness is being dispelled. Uh, last week, we looked at the theme of peace, where peace is being deeply planted in our hearts, but it's, it's the messy in-between, right? It's unfolding work, and it'll be made complete when Jesus returns. So our challenge is, we saw this last week, living in the middle space, it's very easy to lose sight of the rising sun. It's very easy to find ourselves in the shadows, in a valley, in a, in, a, in, a, in a long, dark night that's just cold and our souls turn frigid. We find ourselves away from the sun and we, we're not seeing it and we lose sight and our faith suffers. And so what we talked about last week is we need older people in our lives who have walked in those valleys for a longer period of time. They've climbed higher on the mountains of life. They're closer to the sunrise, if you will, and their sight can become our sight. And that's when I introduced our non-official Advent title, 
last week, the one that my mom would approve of. It's Advent with Old People. And you remember we met two old people, um, Anna and Simeon, last week. I want to introduce you to a third old person, uh, not from this passage. And you did notice, right, the, um, the sermon or the, the Bible reading for us this morning came from Luke chapter 2, just like it did last week, right? And so you're sitting there thinking, dude, John has to work once a week. We got this, like, he just mailed it in this week. Yeah, like, he's, yeah. Um, Remember when I said in our Advent with old people, we're going to do, we're going to fly some circles around that passage because there are certain things we just need to hear and hear deeply. So it is the same passage, but we're going to focus on a different piece of it and we'll have a different, we'll have a different focus today. So I promise I'm not just mailing it in, even if you, even if you feel like I am. Um, Yeah, a third old person, not from the text of Luke. This guy's name is Basho, and I want to introduce you to Basho because I believe as an older person, he most accurately mm, communicates how every one of us actually feels about peace. Um, Basho was a Japanese man who lived, I think, uh, about 400 years ago, maybe a little less than 400 years ago. He is one of four poets that popularized haiku as a form of poetic expression. But of the four men, he was viewed, or the four poets, I don't know that they were all men. He was viewed as the master of the masters, the sensei. So if Basho had not been around, you would not have the joy of reading or writing haikus, right? So here he is. Here's what he said about peace. He said, there have been times... When my spirit, so dejected, almost gave up the quest. Other times when it was proud, triumphant, but so it has been from the very start, never finding peace with itself, always doubting. I wanted to introduce his voice this morning because I I feel like his voice most closely represents, if we were to be honest with each other, how we feel about peace peace, finding peace, making peace, even as followers of Jesus. Like we know he's the prince of peace, and peace is supposed to be one of the qualities that marks our life in Christ. Then why does it feel so elusive? Why does it feel so out of reach? Why could Basho's words be our words? So I let Basho inform the first half of my sermon summary today. I'm going to give somebody else the back half, but also in the spirit of Basho, since he wrote haikus, I submit to my sermon summary in the form of a haiku this week, but please judge lightly, I have a fragile soul, okay? Here it is. You can count the syllables if you want, okay? Do it. Clap. Go ahead. Peace plays, peace plays hide and seek with my soul, not found until Jesus found me whole. So Basho gets the first half. Thanks. Was that a plus? Thank you. Thanks. I got, I'll pay you later. Basho gets the first half. That's what he's communicating, right? There's this thing called peace. I don't know if I can describe it real well, but I know what it is when I feel it, and I know I don't normally have it place hide and seek with my soul. So where does the second half of that line come from? We're going to give that to Simeon, because if you notice at the front of our text this morning, Simeon makes this bold statement in Luke chapter 2, verse 29. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart. It's kind of a weak translation. I wish they left it alone. Just die, 
Like Simeon's just saying as an old man now, I can die. I'm good. I can die in peace. I can die in peace. Because he had seen Jesus. He'd seen his salvation. So the second half of our haiku this morning is, uh, belongs to him, right? Basho maybe most accurately represents how we all feel, like our lived reality in life. But Simeon communicates this gospel, this beautiful peace from the gospel that our peace is found in Jesus. Now, I, I want to point this out because notice, notice Simeon's preposition here, right? He says, uh, you are letting your servant die, what? In peace. I don't think very many of us could say that this morning. But we would be very quick to say something else. All you have to do is change the preposition, there are some of you in this room who are straight up willing to die a certain kind of death for peace. If you could just have peace in your marriage, if you could just have peace with that sibling, if you could just be at peace with your stepdad or your stepmom or your parents, if you could just have some peace with your kid, your stepkid, if you could just have peace with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if you could just have peace in your singleness, we would die a certain kind of death so we could taste peace. Very few of us could join Simeon and say, I'm, I'm good. I can die in peace right now. But just about dang near every one of us could stand up and say, I would die for a certain kind of peace this morning. Um, so I think Basho's voice is really important to us. They're both important voices. Now, just like we started in an Old Testament passage last week, I want our starting point to be in another Old Testament passage. This one's Jeremiah, just one verse, but it's going to pave the way for us, if you will. And it's Jeremiah 9, or 6, 16, and it goes like this. And guys, this verse is particularly for you this morning, okay? I'll show you why. Thus says the Lord. So we know right off the bat, this is command, not suggestion. You got to do this. Stand by the roads and look and ask for directions. That's what it says. Ask for directions. Stand by the roads, look, ask for the ancient paths. So who are we asking? We're asking the old people among us. Advent with old people. Simeon, Anna, people who have walked through life by faith in Jesus, they have punched through the valleys we're crawling through right now. They have crawled through the nighttime experiences that are just crushing our souls right now, and they're on the other side. They're closer to the sunrise. Ask them, because your eyes can't see it right now, ask them, where's the good pathway? Like, you look like you're living through in peace, but you've lived the same kind of hard life I have, what's the good way? How do I find peace? And then walk in it and notice what it says. If you will ask where the good way is and if you will walk in it, what does it say? This is important to us, guys. What does it say? You will find what? Okay, that's peace. You will be able to join Simeon in his voice and say, I'm good. my life is jacked up. Circumstances are hard, valleys dark and deep, night is long and cold, I'm good. Like you can say that and actually mean it, not as a religious cliche, not because you go to church, not because your coworkers know you're a Christian, not because your dog tag says Protestant or Catholic, but because it's true. You can have peace, rest for your soul. But they said, we'll, we'll visit this at the end of our time. I ain't going to walk in that road, okay? I ain't going to walk in it. So who's our old guy that we can ask but Simeon, okay? So we're going to ask Simeon, where is the good way, man? Where, where is the good way that will lead us to be able to say, 
I can die in peace. So if we flip back to Luke 2, it'll be on the screen for you. I think what we see are four markers on Simeon's good pathway. So here's Simeon's ancient path to peace. We need to ask him for directions. We need to listen to him. And like our father said through the prophet Jeremiah, we need need to walk down this road, guys. So here's what we're going to see. God's promises, God's person, God's plan, and God's pursuit. Now, if you're like me and you grew up in kind of a conservative expression of Christianity, which I'm not slandering. Now, as an older man, I have learned I can talk honestly about my past without dismissing the gifts that I was given because of that past. So I had flaws, but I was given some incredible life-giving gifts. So one of those gifts was a very high view of God, maybe what some of you would call fear of the Lord, and a high view of Scripture. But kind of the underbelly to that was kind of an impersonal or depersonalized view of God. So if it helps you, I would encourage you, could you just put those back up one more time? Take the word God out of those statements and insert father. So my father's promises, my father's, he's your father, okay? My father's plan, my father's pursuit. I would actually encourage you to go one step further. Jesus did it when he invoked the word Abba to talk about his father in heaven. That was a culturally intimate way of talking about his dad. So in my family, dad or daddy, or I won't go into all the nicknames my boys use, daddy, for you, maybe papa, whatever it is, the most intimate term, my dad's promises, my dad's person, my dad's my dad's pursuit. This is the pathway to peace, guys. If we will be willing to ask Simeon, this is what he will show us, and the invitation is to walk in it. So let's, let's focus on these. Let's break them down one at a time. The first one, my dad's promises, my dad's promises. Verse 29, Simeon could say, I'm ready to die in peace now. Just four words right here. You are letting your servant die in peace according to your word. According to your word. Simeon had been told that before he died, God would allow him to see in person his rescue, his rescuing king, his salvation, the the Christ or the Messiah. We unpacked those terms last week. And now he's seeing him. He's seeing him. He's seeing Jesus in person. The Holy Spirit has given him eyes to see that salvation isn't an impersonal thing. It's It's a personal embodied reality. The person of Jesus would be his rescuing king. So Simeon sees Jesus and he says, ah, my dad made a promise and he kept his promise. That is, that is, that is exactly what gives me peace. I can die in peace now, okay? So promises made and promises kept according to your word. Here's the first thing that we can see from Simeon's life, guys, and and then we'll unpack it. Familiarity with your father's promises will build a foundation of peace in your life no matter your circumstances. Let me just say that one more time. Familiarity with your father's promises will build an indestructible foundation of peace. I think Jesus kind of gets at that in the Gospels, right? Remember building your life on a rock or building it on the sand? We can visualize that living on this island, right? You all want to get out. You want to build your forever home that you live in for nine months. And then since you've moved once every two to three years, you'd be like, why did we ever call this our forever home? Let's move again and build another one. But when you build that home, you could build it on concrete or you can build it on the shifting sands of the, of the Okinawan island. If you build on the island, what happens to your house? It's gone, right? Washed away. Guys, any life built on any other foundation other than 
promises made, promises kept, will collapse, and it won't require devastating experiences in life to collapse. It will collapse in the devastating experiences, but if you do not build your life on familiarity with your father's promises, you will collapse in the best of times. We can visualize this. We build buildings in Okinawa more regularly than I've seen in almost any other place I've lived. They're going up all the time, right? Now, how do they start out? Several months of building these wooden frames, right? The forms for the building that's gonna take shape. And then within those wooden forms, what are they laying down for months before they even pour concrete? What's going in there? Rebar, right? We build a building in the States and we lay like a, a, a two by four in there and we're like, it'll be good, that'll hold, right? It'll be good. They use more rebar than I mean, it, you would think every single building would exhaust the supply of rebar on this island. That's how much rebar they're throwing in there, okay? So all the concrete forms and then the rebar, that's promises made, right? That's promises made. So w- months before the concrete's poured, I know exactly what that building's gonna look like. I can see it taking shape in my mind and I can see the strength of it and I can see the beauty of it. That is familiarity with my dad's promises made. It's hope giving because I know it's just a matter of time until the building is done and it fulfills its life giving purpose. Promises made. Promises kept. Months later the concrete is poured in and in a matter of just days what was just wooden forms and rebar now becomes this incredible building. Promises kept. Now that's an impersonal example but I think it helps us relate a little bit. Let's make it more personal. When I was a kid my dad, um, my dad drove truck for a dairy. And man, it was a beautiful job for me to have my dad. He probably hated it, but here's what I mean. Before rules were rules, like I could go to work with my dad. I could ride in the truck. I could do all the things. And this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I just want to share a piece of my childhood with you. We would go into the cooler with my dad, all four of us boys, and we would go to the section that they had for product that was almost out of shelf life. So they couldn't sell it anymore, but it was still good. And they sold, they had these cartons of, it's called creamy mix. It was basically anytime you buy a soft serve cone, first it was liquid form in one of these half gallon containers. And dad would take one down, crack it open, and we would just pass it around until we reached the bottom of that carton. Our, the base of our food pyramid was so nutrient rich. <laughs> Guys, it was, anyway, all right, promises made, right? Promises made. Um, but because dad had to go to work so early, we rarely saw him in the morning time. Now, and this is a, maybe a good word for those of you who are, you're, man, you're both on active duty or you're an active duty mom or, or dad and you, just, you don't get a lot of time with your kid in the morning. You can still do so much life-giving stuff with your kid, even if you don't see him. Now, here's what my dad would do. You get a three-by-five card and you write a personal note for his boys, okay? And he would address it to me personally. He would always, he would, he would look on the calendar, take a proverb, one verse from the proverb chapter that corresponded with the day, uh, the day on the calendar, right? Proverbs 20, whatever, on the 20th. He'd write the verse down, and then he'd ask us a question about the verse that he, he's like, now, we're going to talk about it. When I get home, promises made, promises kept. And then he would say something about us that he loves. Son, I love you, I'm proud of you, and here's why, okay? And then, so early in the early days, in this farmhouse we lived in, we had this telephone pole out in the yard. 
it didn't have any lines on it. It was this old foam pole. And so my dad's like, we're going to build a fort, a fortress around this pole. And he described what it would look like. And on the bottom of this three by five card, it would be promises made about this castle, really. And then over the course of a couple of years in my dad's free time, this dream that he promised became reality until we had a two-story building in the yard with doors and trap doors and false floors and all the things. It was incredible. Promises made, promises kept. Guys, there were some mornings that what my dad wrote on that little card impacted my little boyish soul so much that the only emotion that I could even like describe that I was feeling was just this desire to be in my dad's arms and for it to be okay to cry, like that was okay for a boy or a young man to do, to feel my dad's embrace and have tears go down our cheeks at the same time and to be present with his love. Guys, that's what we're talking about, promises made. What Simeon would have us to hear this morning, guys, if you're serious about having peace in your soul, your level of familiarity with your father's promises needs to be significant enough that you can sit here and call them to mind and be moved emotionally to the point that you long for your father's embrace. It's personal and deeply moving. Now listen, I'm saying that as one who, as a young boy, had zero emotional IQ. And uh, listen, listen, bear with me, dudes. As a 41-year-old man now, remain an ASVAB waiver when it, when it, when it relates to emotional IQ. Like, we, we're, we can do this together, but that depth of emotion needs to be connected with my dad's personal life-giving promises. So let me just ask you. What are the promises of your father that serve as the rebar running through the concrete of your life? What are they? And interactive now, what do you got? What are your father's promises that are incredibly meaningful to you? Yeah, there you go. That is a rebar. Son, daughter, you are going to go through some valleys in life. You will experience some long, dark nights. You will never be alone. I will never leave you, and I will ne you will turn your back on me in moments. I'm never going to turn my back on you. Will not happen. That's a, that's a straight-up rebar running through the concrete of your life, guys. Good. What else? Yeah. Mm. He never changes. And uh, I was listening to my Advent reading this morning, uh, which I recommend for everybody, just readings that take you through Advent. So he never changes. And then in my Advent reading this morning, uh, it said... Uh, the father never changes a word that comes out of his mouth. He always does what he says. So he doesn't change. And how many of us had a parent like that? We had some great parents in the room and some imperfect parents, but none of them ever perfectly kept their word and none of them in their good character were unchanging. Guys, that's a rebar running through our lives. Good. What's another one? Love never fails. Yeah. Man, perfect love. The father is the only one who knows exactly who you are your heart's not on display for any of us to see this morning, right? Good thing, bad thing. Good, straight up good. Do you know the Father is the only one who sees every corner of your heart and yet loves you fully? If you could see my heart, your love for me, you'd find another church, okay? Uh, you laugh, but it's true. Love never fails. That's, that's a rebar, guys. What other rebars do we have? Refuge. refuge. He's our refuge. I will always be your refuge. You will always find me in a troubled, I will always be your refuge. Good, one more. Faithful. Faithful. 
Faithless kid, faithless son, faithless daughter, I will always be faithful to you. You will always find a seat at my table. You will always have a room in my family's house. I will always be faithful to you. I will never revoke my promises to you. Guys, rebars after rebars. So the question is, if on Simeon's pathway to peace, he's saying familiarity with my dad's promises allows my soul to say, I'm good, I can die in peace now. Come what may in my circumstances, how many rebars you got running through your life? The more rebars you have, the more familiar you are with your father's promises made, promises kept, the more peace you will know in your soul. We could say, say that negatively. If peace is elusive or deficient, though it's not necessarily true, it's likely true that I don't have very many of my father's promises familiar enough to me that they're running through like these reinforced rebars in the concrete walls of my life. Okay, so father's promises. Let's talk about father's person. I love this piece. Simeon says, Lord, you're letting, me you're letting your servant die in peace according to your word, right? Because you've made promises and you kept promises and it's insane and it's beautiful. But also because uh, my eyes have seen your salvation. So person, my dad's person. So Simeon is looking, it's not just describing this impersonal salvation, he's looking at Jesus. And because his eyes see Jesus, his heart or his soul is filled with peace. Now guys, well, let me save that one. Nope, let's go for it right now. What did Simeon say? He said, my eyes, right? My eyes. Guys, listen, we gotta talk about our eyes for a minute. For those of us who have grown up in cultural expressions of, of Christianity, we've, we've almost become accustomed to hearing about Jesus through other people's eyes. We will show up and pay a professional to describe Jesus for us. We'll read a book. We'll listen to a book. We'll watch the show. You should watch Chosen. It's a great show. But we will, we will pay for it. But what we're getting is a secondhand description of who they see Jesus to be. Listen. I can wear you out with average sermons for the rest of your time in Okinawa. I've got five and a half years of history preaching average sermons describing a beautiful Jesus. I can nail it. And I hope that in some of those average sermons, you get a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus, of who he is and the life that he gives. But it's not enough to see him through my eyes. It's not enough to see him through Simeon's eyes. Your eyes have to rest on Jesus. What do we see when we see Jesus? Here's what the prophet Micah said in Micah 5.5. 5. He said, he will be their peace. He will be their peace. So the whole chapter is pointing to uh, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And guys, this beautiful statement, look, this is good news from the gospel. Jesus will be your peace. Guys, we got to hear this. We have been conditioned by a culture and even a cultural expression of Christianity, which honestly sometimes is more pseudo-Christianity than Christianity, that says, go find peace. Go make peace. If you follow these 10 steps, if you read this book, if you go to the seminar, if you get this counseling, you can find peace. You can make peace. Honestly, culturally now, and even in Christian circles, the answer is usually just go do a deep dive right inside. Like, dive, find, just get into the right places and you'll find peace. Like, or... Uh, maybe even more culturally common, just get into a place, empty your mind, perfect circumstances, and you'll discover peace. Sounds good, but fam, listen, they're all lies. 
Peace is not something to be found. And if you are on the scavenger hunt that most of us are in our culture of finding the right clues and chasing peace down, can I just save you the heartache? Peace is not something that can be found and held in your hands. You, if you are chasing peace, you will never find it. Like Basho was saying, you will, you will never find it. It can't be found. So what's the good news of Micah 5.5? 5? You don't have to find peace. Jesus is your peace. And what does it say in Luke 1, verse 79? Jesus will what? Guide my feet into the way of peace. So he, he is my peace. Peace is a person in the person of Jesus Christ. He is my peace. And then when he is mine, when my eyes see him, he promises. Here's a rebar for you. He promises to guide your feet in the way of peace. My father's person. Jesus. You got to see it. And you know what our biggest problem is, guys? It's not even so much that we depend upon other people to see him for ourselves. You're too busy to see him. We don't sit and look. We treat busyness like it's this badge of honor, like look at my capacity, or let me, let me prove my worth let me prove that I belong. Let me, let me earn my place. Let me do and do and do. What if the gospel is actually calling you in this Advent season with old people to do less and be more? What if you stop working for peace in your soul and in your relationships? And what if you start looking at Jesus, the person of peace, and letting him guide your feet into the way of peace? So when I fell in love with Linnea, hey babe, try to describe the, the, the life-changing reality that I'd found in my brothers. And uh, I'm like, I'm just gonna have to meet her. I words fail. And so it was kind of funny, like I was in college in upstate New York, Binghamton, and 45 minutes south in Clarkson, well, Scranton, right? So the office and Joe Biden's home, okay? Scranton. Okay. There was a kind of competing Bible college. My brother was there. I'm like, hey, is it? he invited me down to dinner with his wife. I'm like, can I bring a friend? Can I bring a friend? And I brought my friend, and my brother still to this day has not let it go. Like, friend, she wasn't a friend. I just wanted him to meet her in person and to encounter the beauty that I had, uh, had encountered in beauty that was beyond words, right? Guys, listen. You have to encounter Jesus for yourself. Your eyes need to see him. Now, listen. It's a one-time peace and enduring peace, okay? So here's the problem. Again, to our culture, so many of us were raised in these environments where you pray a prayer, you go to a youth camp, they, pray, they sing just as I am for 45 minutes, they promised ice cream Sundays when the service ended, so you take one for the team, and you go down, you raise a hand, you pray a prayer, like I'm, I'm saved, I've got peace. And it's this one-time thing, so now I just have peace for the rest of my life, but you haven't looked at Jesus in a substantial way since. No peace. Guys, on Monday, tomorrow morning, the gaze that you looked, took at Jesus today and yesterday will be insufficient for the circumstances that your soul will face. And your soul will be crushed if you depend on yesterday's gaze for tomorrow's troubles. Tomorrow morning, you need to be like Simeon. You need to... Repent of hurry and busyness 
and you need to sit with Jesus in his word, that's where we see him, and refuse to move until the Father gives you a beautiful glimpse of Jesus that runs a rebar through your soul and instills peace. Today's gaze will not get you through tomorrow. Got to look. Got to look for yourself. Simeon says, Simeon says, he's like Simon says. Man, we could play with this one. Simon says, okay, promises, father's promises made, father's promises kept, my father's person, pathway to peace. Third piece is my father's plan. Look at this. This, this, is, this is a source of peace for any of the father's kids. Look at this. Verse 30. Uh, my eyes have seen your salvation. We just talked about that. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. All right. I just want to point two things about this. First of all, he's prepared it, and it was prepared in the presence of all people. So two things that should give you profound peace. Any of you have parents who were never prepared? Life was chaos, Right? Some of you kind of approach life in that unprepared will go with it phase. And for those of us who like preparedness, we're like, yo, that's chaos. I can't, I can't deal with it. Bottom line is none of us are ever prepared enough and life comes at you. Guys, the Father is, God the Father is the most prepared Father ever. He's the perfection of preparedness. And he has prepared your rescue from before time. In other words, he was not caught off guard by any of you. Like, man, I've got a plan for everybody else. It's prepared, but Ben? Dang. Well, God probably wouldn't say that. Dang. Wow. He is such a rebel. Nicole prays about him every night. Like, I don't have a plan for this guy. I am not prepared for Ben. Right? Keon, oh my goodness. Of all the rebels in Okinawa, like I was good until Keon got... I, personally tried to work things with a monitor so we wouldn't get orders over there because I had everything under control and then Keon shows up. Sometimes we feel that way, guys. And I'm joking. You know I'm joking. All right. You know I'm joking. Mostly. Mostly. <laughs> guys, your father's prepared. He is so prepared for your rescue. There's nothing you've ever done that caught him off guard. Nothing. He is prepared. Now, not only is he prepared for your rescue, he's, he's announced that plan in the presence of all peoples. What does that mean? It simply means, to use our common language, the father went Facebook official with your rescue plan for the purpose of accountability. That's what we do. We go Facebook, well, not really, all, old people use Facebook. So whatever social media you use to go official for accountability, you start a new diet plan, January 1's coming, you start a new workout plan. It's not official unless you make it official in the socials, right? You're dating somebody. It's not official unless it's official in the socials. This is the Bible's way of saying the father went official with his rescue plan. So to say it's done in the presence of all pe of peoples is to say it's an irrevocable plan, guys. So listen, if your father is that prepared and if he's gone public for your rescue, now, one thing about your rescue, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved, kind of three tenses of your salvation. So what did Jesus say on the cross? It's finished. The work is done. So by faith, when you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus, you are rescued into the family, adopted. But now that rescuing work begins a lifetime we like to call that sanctification, a lifetime of being worked out so you're being saved by Jesus. But maybe the most beautiful promise made, right? The concrete forms are laid. The wooden forms are there. The rebar's done. We can see the building even though it's not built yet. The Father's promise that if he started a good work in you, what? What? 
He will finish it. You know how many times you're going to tap out? You know how many times I've tapped out? God never taps out. There is no quit in Christ. If he started a good work, he's going to finish it. If you have been saved and are being saved, you will be saved. He's going to bring your rebel little feet all the way home to the Father's table. You will find yourself at home with the Father when it's all done. There is no place that you can go. It's outside of his reach. Guys, if that does not give us profound peace, I don't have anything else for you. Like there's nothing in this book that will generate the kind of peace that will give if we actually believe it to be true in the presence of all peoples. I got to start wrapping this up. The fourth one, so we have the Father's promises. We have the Father's person. We have the Father's plan. It's prepared, it's happening, and he's committed. There's no change in it. And we have the Father's pursuit. This might be my favorite part, verse 32. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So glory in the sense that God's rescuing plan is good for us. It's life-giving to us, right? It's, It's for our glory, our good. But I want to focus on the first half of that sentence. It is a light for the Gentiles. So when the Bible uses the word Gentiles, it's not as much of an ethnic claim, although it can be, as much as it is a distance statement. In other words, Gentiles were about as far from God as you could get. Far away. So far. Which is an important gospel truth for us to hear, guys. So remember, what does the gospel say about us? Your rebellion was so deep and so far. We are so stained by sin. We find ourselves as kids so far from the Father's house and so incapable of going back home. And even if we were capable, lacking the desire and the follow-through and the commitment, we're separated from God because he's holy and we're rebels. So you guys, you rebels, you Gentiles so far from home, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? A light for revelation. That's just another way of saying the sun is going to rise on the rebel who is the farthest away from home. So I don't know what region of the country that is for you, but wherever that place is where the rebel would go or where you went in your rebel days, right? The deepest corners of Appalachia where West Virginia and Kentucky and Tennessee, is that even a place? Like that place, the faraway hidden place where we go to hide. I don't know if I'm picking on Appalachia. I love Appalachia. So for those of you from the, the abysmal Pacific Northwest where rebels go to thrive and live in rebellion to God, from the dead town in New England that was left behind in the 1700s, like all the places, guys, Okinawa, the place that you have gone in your deepest rebellion, listen, the sun rises. And when the father causes the sun to rise, it will make its way to high noon. And the rays of that sun will penetrate the deepest darkness in the farthest away place on the longest, dusty, dead-end dirt road. And wherever you find yourself in your lowest moment of rebellion, the darkest night, the coldest winter morning, when your heart is icy and your spirit is cold, The Father's promises the sun is going to rise. And there is no place on planet Earth that you can outrun the heart 
life-sanctifying, life-giving, peace-inducing, soul-stirring rays of my son Jesus that will rise on the hardest of rebels. And you know what the sun does? It thaws our hearts. It gives life where there was death, joy where there was joylessness, peace where there was chaos, and it walks our happy little feet back home to the Father, only to see that the Father was already running down the road for you, and now your heart is soft again, and there's life, and you can cry, and it's right to cry, and you get a Father's embrace. The sun will rise on your rebellion. Promises made, promises kept. Father's person, Father's plan, and Father's pursuit. Try to outrun the Father. You can't do it. It's coming for you. And I know there are some of you in this room here who are still skeptical of that, still cynical, or you're just, you're just beat up. And you feel like you're outside the Father's reach, and you just need to hear this. The Father is coming for you, son. He's coming for you, daughter. And he runs faster, and he runs harder, and he doesn't quit. He's going to chase you down. And though you've been yelled at for a lifetime and told that when he finds you, he's going to crush you with judgment for the rebel life that you've lived, when the father finds you, he's going to whisper in your ear and he's going to say, son, daughter, I crushed my perfect son, Jesus, in your place. And he gladly took your judgment so that you can have mercy. Come on home. That's what he's going to say. And I need to stop saying things. So let's wrap up. So I think those are Simeon's four markers on his pathway to peace, right? Promises, person, plan, and pursuit. Let's just flip back to Jeremiah real quick. We need to sit with this. Jeremiah 6, same chapter we were in. Look at verse 14. It says this. Jeremiah was talking about the pastors of the day, if you will, and he says, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Guys, that's our greatest danger right now. Oh, nice sermon, John. See you next week. That was a great talk on peace. See you next week. And we just hurry to the next thing. And we forget about it. And we'll be just like them. We'll say, yeah, peace, great. That was a great talk. I love Advent. I feel, I feel closer to peace. Thanks. There's no peace. Can we just be, let's not be hurried, but let's be honest. Let's have integrity. And let's, let's be willing to sit here and say, even those of us who have already found, or we have been found by Jesus and adopted into the family, there are still pockets in our souls where peace is not present. There are pockets in our lives right now where it's chaos and not peace. Guys, anywhere there's not a rebar running through your soul, promises made, promises kept, there's an absence of peace. That's just the truth. Anywhere you live in contact with another person who is not loving God, loving people, they are introducing conflict or chaos into your life. Absence of peace. It's an absence of peace. So let's not be in denial. Let's be truth tellers. We need Jesus. Let's not deal with this lightly. Let's not put a Band-Aid on our four-year-old's boo-boo. Let's admit that in the absence of peace, we're more like a cancer patient who needs the Holy Spirit to straight up take a scalpel to the inside of my soul and to carve away the cancer and infuse the gospel and to give me life. There's one more problem. Some of us think we'll have peace if we just get the right person taken out of our lives. You gotta stop believing that, guys. It's not your problem. They may be a problem person, but it's not your primary problem. Every relationship is simply the context that reveals the lack of rebar running through your soul. And we're all like, man, I'll have peace if we just take this person out of my life. No, man, you'll have peace if you could be taken out of your own life. 
I am my own greatest problem. The absence of peace is, it is, it is, I am the greatest problem in my own life. Not other people, my own heart. The absence of the rebar, not looking at Jesus, all the things. And here's the challenge for us. Look at this, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, this is how we began, this is how we'll close. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. What's the last line? They wouldn't walk in it. Guys, let's not hurry. Let's sit in it. Grant's going to come and the team's going to play for us. And then Kento will come as one of our pastors. We'll have plenty of moments to reflect, guys. But this is what I want to urge you, family. Most of us have hearts that are going to hear this message, myself included. And I'm going to walk out this door, but not walk in the path that we just walked down together. So let's sit, let's be humble, let's ask for directions. We got the ancient path, the pathway to peace from Simeon. Let's walk down it. Remember, we, we learned this word devout last week. Devout doesn't mean good Christian, perfect Christian. What did devout mean? To be near and to exercise or express neediness. So why don't we just practice devotion or devoutness now and let's together imagine you don't have to imagine, identify the absence of peace in our souls. Let's symbolically bring that to Jesus. Let's bring it near. Let's bring it near. And together as a family, why not? Let's express our neediness to him. Let's come in low and humble so that we can receive his grace. How about it, family? Let's pursue Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us together. Let's do it.